The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Welcome to the 17th episode of the second season of The Window on the World. Today is Friday, 16th of December, and in this podcast, we will hear the best editorials from around the world on the energy crisis and climate change, the arrest of a group of right-wing extremists in Germany, and the war in Ukraine. Let's get started. The first topic of today's press review is climate change and the debate around new forms of clean energy. This week, news broke out at the National Ignition Facility in California, US, scientists succeeded in producing a nuclear fusion that released more energy than it took to trigger it. The experiment mimicked some of the conditions found in stars and the sun, said US government energy secretary Jennifer Granholm. Again, according to the secretary and the scientists who participated in the experiment, the successful test is an important step towards a clean, low-cost energy source. However, it will take several more decades before it can be employed on a large scale and used for commercial purposes. Explaining more about the importance of this research is today's first columnist, Arthur Turrell, researcher and physicist at Imperial College London in the British newspaper The Guardian. For him, the discovery is exciting because it's the first scientific proof that fusion can produce more energy out than is put in. Until now, in fact, no one had been able to reproduce a fusion process that released more energy than it took to trigger it. Pretty fundamental for a power source. According to the columnist, being able to trigger and control the nuclear fusion process is the first step towards an energy source that doesn't create long-lived radioactive waste. And there's no chance of meltdowns such as those at Chernobyl and Fukushima. It is true that the energy released during the experiment was a little more compared to what was needed to trigger the fusion, but the purpose of the experiment was only to demonstrate scientific feasibility. Now that we know that nuclear fusion can be reproduced, Tarl concludes, it is up to us to turn it into a source of energy. From one clean energy to another, the editors of the Spanish newspaper El País explain the importance of the European Union's investment in so-called green hydrogen. Green hydrogen is that which is produced through a process of electrolysis of the water. Recently, Spain, France and Portugal reached an agreement on starting the construction of a green hydrogen pipeline between Barcelona and Marseille. Electrification is the necessary step for the decarbonization of the global energy mix, currently 80% based on fossil fuels, the editors explain. Green hydrogen in this sense could help us decarbonize those activities such as freight transport or aviation, for which storage capacity and weight of batteries or energetical outputs required make other renewable sources unfeasible. For example, the company Airbus claims that as investments in green hydrogen multiply, hydrogen-powered planes will start flying by 2035. Returning more generally to the topic of the renewables, the columnists conclude Spain presents the best conditions in Europe for solar power, both from an environmental and structural standpoint. Indeed, electricity along with water is one of the two ingredients needed 
to produce green hydrogen. The final editorial on the subject comes instead from the Belgian newspaper Le Soir. For academics Eric Murai and Philippe Nakash, the failure to combat climate change would be due to the very structure of our society. The failure of leadership, often cited as an explanation, is not very credible to explain by itself three decades of collective failure, the professors note. Until now, Western governments have favored global market-related instruments to combat climate change. But even in 2022, record levels of CO2 emissions have been recorded. During the last COP27, it was decided to establish a fund financed by the world's richest countries to compensate for the damage and losses caused to less developed countries due to global warming. But the new fund, besides falling far short of the figures that would be needed, cannot mask the lack of progress in measures to address the causes of environmental threats. Moreover, the severity of the consequences of the climate crisis will cascade to more industrialized countries as well. We postulate that the survival of the human species, as well as a preservation of health, constitutes a minimum common good which should meet with the approval of the vast majority of human beings, the two professors argue. In conclusion, a strategy to combat climate change and the collapse of biodiversity caused by human activities must be complemented with a change in approach to economic activities and to the tools that have been deployed so far. Next, we discuss the dismantling in Germany of a far-right group that was preparing a coup. The purpose of the coup would have been to establish a regime inspired by the Nazi Third Reich. The German police operation led to the arrest of about 20 people, part of the group Reichsburger, which means citizens of the Reich. Among those arrested was Henry XIII of Reuss, Prince of Thuringia, who was considered one of the leaders of the organization and according to the plot, was to become the new king of Germany. The organization had an extensive network throughout the country. Its goals were precise, and it was preparing to achieve them even by resorting to violence, noted Thomas Haldenwang, president of the Federal Constitution Office. Let's start right in Germany with the editorial by Ronin Stenke of the Süddeutsche Zeitung newspaper. For the German columnist, the most disturbing aspect of the affair is the fact that many members of the neo-Nazi group were part of German institutions. The most bizarre example, the Berlin judge, lawyer Birgit Malsak-Winkenmann, Stenke notes. Malsak-Winkenmann was an AFD parliamentarian and for years she publicly spread racist ideas and fake news. Yet another of those arrested was a soldier in the KSK, a special army department. Already in the past, the KSK found itself in the spotlight because of a scandal related to the professed Nazi sympathies of some of its members. From the details of the investigation, the reporter continues, it is also emerging how the Reichsburger were looking for new members within the army and law enforcement agencies. For months, far-right conspirators have apparently been approaching other police officers and soldiers asking if they would like to join them. Disturbingly, is Steinke's conclusion, no one who has been approached by the group alerted their superiors. Across the channel, however, Jonathan Friedland of Britain's The Guardian relates the German group to other attacks perpetuated by right-wing extremists. 
the Reichsburger, like the perpetrators of the murders in Utøya in Norway, Christchurch in New Zealand, and Pittsburgh and Buffalo in the United States, identified the same groups as enemies, people of color, the LGBT community, and Jews. For 20 years or so after the 9-11-2001 attacks, Islamic extremism was the focus of counter-terrorism forces around the world. Now, jihadism no longer has a stage to itself. There are two differences in methods that Friedland identifies between Islamic terrorism and far-right terrorism. First, is much looser and entirely leaderless, radicalizing its followers chiefly through the internet. The absence of a central organization is also linked to the second difference. If jihadists dreamed of establishing their own government, as ISIS militants did, those arrested in Germany this week, like the insurrectionists who stormed Capitol Hill on 6 January 2021, aim to topple existing governments in the West and install themselves. To reach their goal, they want to eliminate the democratically elected governments in their respective countries. The arrest of a pro-Nazi group warns of the anti-democratic danger within Western democracies, is the warning that opens the editorial in Spain's El País. Despite the eccentricity of some aspects of the group, such as lofty titles, fake identity cards and passports from an imaginary empire, the German police and intelligence services have treated the Reichsburger as a highly dangerous group. Indeed, German police have recently noticed a growing xenophobic and racist danger, sometimes escalating into violence, which has grown in tandem with the rise of far-right parties such as the AFD, Alternative for Germany. Despite belonging in an aristocratic family, the language and ideas of one of the group's leaders belong to the anti-elitist populism of a radicalized, racist and xenophobic far-right which rejects the rule of law. This is not a small group of harmless conspirators, but a large network which may include thousands of people and which has already been involved in some incidents, is the reason for law enforcement's concern. Recent events in Germany, the editors say in closing, once again alert Germany and the rest of the West to the fragility of democracy, even in countries where it is most firmly rooted. Today's final section takes us to Eastern Europe to hear some editorials on the progress of the war in Ukraine. For the editorial staff of Britain's The Times, although it may have faded into the background in the news over time, the war is still going on. Russia is gambling that a cold winter will bring victory over Ukraine, maintains the reporters. Therefore, the West's resolve has to hold firm until Vladimir Putin loses his nerve. The cold Eastern European winter is endangering residents of Ukrainian cities without heating. Meanwhile, aerial bombardment of civilian energy infrastructure by the Russians is precisely intended to sap Ukrainian morale and disrupt energy supplies. A breakthrough in the conflict is unlikely to come before spring, the editors say. In the meantime, reads the final part of the article, Western governments must resist any Putin-led attempt to split the NATO alliance, or its members committed to keeping the Ukrainian army strong. Strategic patience is essential. According to Jörg Altweg of the German newspaper Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, better known as FAZ, 
However, there is more the West could do to oust Putin. The defeat must be so devastating for Russia that Putin's elite will have no choice but to get rid of him, the columnists explain. Only the circle of billionaires and multi-millionaires who control important sectors of the Russian state can prevent Putin's re-election in 2024. That is why countries aligned with Ukraine should expand sanctions to thousands of lower-ranking officers and government officials. Let's confiscate their countryside estates in England and their villas in Spain. Let's ban them from vacationing in Europe and their children from studying at Harvard, Yale and Oxford. They must remain in Russia without being allowed to leave the country and without imported goods with which to buy and spend the stolen money. Altweg's idea is to bring the Russian elite to decide whether to follow Putin into the abyss or not. The columnist is confident about the favorable outcome of the war for Europe. It will emerge from the war stronger and more compact and will be better able to face the challenges of the future. For the final editorial of this episode, we'll go to France and the newspaper Les Echo. Political scientist Dominic Moisy draws a parallel between the Russo-Japanese War of 1905 and today's invasion of Ukraine. Although with due differences in both cases, Russia faced in a war of choice which was by no means indispensable, an adversary towards whom it felt very superior. It is too early to say how the conflict in Ukraine will end. But in 1905, the Russian defeat signaled the beginning of the end for the, the then Tsarist Empire. Authoritarian regimes, it seems almost by nature, since they rely on force, are the most vulnerable to military defeat, the columnist reflects. Indeed, he reminds us that neither the first nor the second French Empire survived their respective military defeats, as was also the case with Nazi Germany. Even today, most Russians outside their own country seem to identify the war in Ukraine with Putin himself. It is his war. It is he who decided it, he who conducted it, he who lost it, he who is directly responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people and the forced displacement of millions of others. In all this, going back to the 1905 war, Macron today seems to want to imitate the Roosevelt who hosted the peace conference in San Francisco. But compared to the United States at the beginning of the last century, France is a country whose options, complex or contradictory it depends, are disputed in its own field, from the European Union to the Atlantic Alliance, poised between the desire to maintain its difference and that of not cutting itself off too much from its allies. And that brings us to the end of the final 17th installment of the second season of The Window on the World. We're so glad that you've been following us for this season and we wish you happy holidays and a happy 2023. This week's editorial work was edited by Daniel Rutza and at the microphone, it's Gail Rago. Thank you and goodbye.